Today's reading comes from Matthew 28, 1 to 10. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we pray to you this morning uh, because we believe that you're alive, that you hear us, you care about us. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, what you are speaking to us today in your word. As we behold your resurrection, uh, would it uh, cause a response in us, or would it be a response of worship and faith? We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Jake. I'm part of the team here, as Brett said. It's really good to be with you here on this Easter Sunday uh, morning. Um, in the first gathering, I, I teared up a little bit uh, thinking about the fact that we're leaving uh, and we're going and we're planting a church. Uh, and I'm not tearing up now, so I'm doing better. I said to myself, Jake, harden your heart and do not cry. Uh, and so I've done that. And so that's always encouraging to hear from the pulpit. Uh, I do want to say, though, thank you. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, my, my family and I have been beyond, beyond blessed, and, and I couldn't begin to talk about all the things uh, that we uh, are so grateful for, and so thank you. Uh, we'll be around, of course, uh, but again, thank you. Uh, if you're new or visiting with us this morning, or you come here all the time, you're part of this community, part of this family, I, I want to begin this morning, really, by putting one really simple question to you, and the question is this. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Uh, To to some of you, that might sound like a child's question. Like maybe you got woken up this morning by your kids and you're like, is the Easter bunny here? And and to some of you, maybe that's like the same thing. Like Jesus, Easter bunny, come on. Now, of course, the difference being that Jesus was, was a thoroughly documented historical person. And so to think of Jesus as you think of the Easter bunny would, would not be to put yourself among the secular atheists or, or agnostics. It would be to put yourself among the ignorant. Now, Jesus was a thoroughly documented historical person. But you're not uh, ignorant, I, I can tell. Uh, you're, you're smart people. No, you, you know Jesus really existed. You just don't think that he's who we've made him out to be. We've made him out to be somebody that, that he, he, he never was. Where's Jesus? Well, you answer that question really simply. Uh, he, he's dead. Buried as a rabbi in a Palestinian tomb, his body decomposed, gone. All that remains is bones. 
And maybe that's how you answer the question, where is Jesus this morning? Still others of you are more spiritually open-minded. Jesus, you say, his body may be rotting away in a tomb or in fact decomposed by now. Uh, But Jesus' spirit, his teachings in a non-material, non-physical way, will, will those live on? To the question, where is Jesus, you'd answer his teaching, his example. Uh, these live on in the hearts of his, his followers. In the same way that Martin Luther King Jr. continues to inspire uh, civil rights activists today, you would say, in the same way, Christians are inspired by the teachings of Jesus today. But Jesus, he's, he's not, it's not really here. It's not physically present. Again, I ask, where is Jesus? Where's Jesus? And I'm not trying to be, to be cute or, or to be fancy or to be overly metaphorical or allegorical here. I'm asking you seriously and, and, and honestly, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus this morning? Because I think that question, where is Jesus, uh, is at the center of our text this morning. The question of of where is Jesus is at the heart of what I want us to to hear this morning. Did you notice that in in the text we heard read from Matthew 28, that these two women, Mary and and Mary, they're they're seeking Jesus. And so where do they go? Well, they go to the last place they saw him, right? That seems logical. They saw Jesus being put into the tomb. And so here on, on Easter Sunday, they come to a tomb where his body was last seen and they find it empty. They find a a terrifying angel who tells them simply, Matthew 28, verse 6, he is not here for he has risen. The linchpin holding the entire Christian faith together, the linchpin holding all of this together, the very thing that we celebrate each Easter Sunday is that Jesus has risen from the dead, bodily, physically risen from the dead. That Jesus did not stay in the tomb, but came out of the tomb. That the tomb is empty. That it's empty. In fact, my whole life, my whole life, and your lives of many of those sitting here in this room, is built on the foundation that, that, that to the question, where is Jesus, I have responded And you have responded. He is not in the tomb. He is risen. Now, if that sounds insane to you, if that sounds crazy to you, I want to spend our time that we have together this morning showing us how how answering the question, where is Jesus, is in fact the most important question that we can answer in our entire life. It is the most important question we can answer in our entire life. But to answer that question properly, there's actually two more questions we need to answer as well. See, first we need to see where was Jesus. And then at the end of that, we need to see where will Jesus be? So three questions to guide our time this morning. Really simply, if you're taking notes, this is it. Where was Jesus? Where is Jesus today? And where will Jesus be? Question number one. You guys ready? You're with me? Yeah? Question number one. Where has Jesus been? Where has he been? Yeah, you'll, you'll notice, as I said, in this passage, the, the, the two women are making their way to a tomb. Uh, they're making their way to, to this, this graveyard, this ancient graveyard. And, and this will sound obvious to you, but, but people go to graveyards, people go to tombs because people have 
died. That was great. That was great. Because people have died, right? That's why they go there. Someone's died, or, or they're just like, you know, they don't like people, and they're, they're an introvert, and they want to walk by themselves for a little bit, right? But, but largely, that's why people go to graveyards, right? Because someone's died. In this case, Jesus has, has died. Just this past Friday at the Stanley Theater in Granville, we celebrated on Good Friday. As strange as that sounds, we celebrated the crucifixion and death of Jesus. And we call it Good Friday. What's so good about Good Friday? Just a few days before Good Friday and just a few days before the resurrection, Jesus had been sitting down with his followers for a meal. And at that meal, he took bread and he took wine And our text says this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. He took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. And listen to what Matthew writes here. Matthew records Jesus is saying this, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus gives all of his disciples a meal to help us remember. It's it's a meal that we'll celebrate today. But to help us remember what? To help us remember what? Well, to help us remember what the angel had told Joseph when his wife Mary was pregnant with Jesus. Matthew 1, 21. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? What's his mission? What's his, his purpose? For he will save his people from their sins. Before we look at the excitement, and there's much excitement to be had today, much hope and joy to be had today, but before we look at the excitement of Easter Sunday, we must once again remember that Jesus' body was given and his blood was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. That is Good Friday. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. That's why it's Good Friday. The good of Good Friday is that all the evil both inside of us and outside of us, has been dealt a decisive blow in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the full weight of all of our sin, our rebellion against our Creator God, the full weight of it, squarely on the shoulders of Jesus. Our failure, my failure, to love God and to love others, paid for at the cross. That's why it's called Good Friday. It's Good Friday because without it, without it, without Good Friday, we have no hope as we battle addictions and the evil tendencies that overcome us. It's, it's Good Friday because without it, I, I am overwhelmed with, with shame and guilt and despair when I look back at the things I have done in my life, especially to those closest to me those nearest to me. It's Good Friday because without it, I'm overcome with a sense of of meaninglessness. If if God does not intervene in human history, in the sending of his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, then surely, friends, let me suggest to you this morning, we are lost in the cosmos. We, We are floating in the middle of nowhere, trying to conjure up meaning out of nowhere, trying to make sense of our world on our own, using what, what, what we have. But Good Friday happened. Jesus was physically nailed to the cross in my place for my sin and for your sin. 
See, we have to. We have to look at where Jesus was this morning. Before we look at where Jesus is this morning, we must first come to believe that he was nailed to the cross for our sin in our place. Otherwise, where he is and and where he will be will not be good news for us. Did you see that? See, but there's actually more good news in where Jesus was this morning. Because I don't know if you notice this, but, but, but as our text alludes to, and as we find out later in the Gospel of Matthew, is that Jesus was in Galilee. Jesus was in Galilee. Now, and you're like, why is that good news to me? Why do I even care? I'll, I'll, I'll get there. Twice. Twice we're told in our passage, as if it's important. Verse 7, the angel says, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And then in verse 10, the risen Jesus himself says this. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And you're all like, oh, I implicitly understand what Jesus being in Galilee means for me today, thousands of years later. Explain no more, preacher man. Like, I got this. My life has changed. No, 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 no worries. No, right? We, we don't understand that. So let me explain that for you. Galilee was, was a, a nothing place filled with nothing people. A nothing place filled with nothing uh, people. It was the opposite of a happening urban rural, uh, sorry, urban center. But it's not just, and, and in the past, I've got in trouble for like naming places that are like the modern day equivalent. And I won't do that this morning, okay? But you can, you can kind of guess where I'm going with this, right? It's not just that, that, that it was quiet or, or rural or a retirement community, say like, I don't know, White Rock. Uh, it, it's not just that, that Galilee was like that, but, but Galilee was actually a despised place. It was a despised place. Here was holy Jerusalem, where the people of God came for all the major festivals and events, uh, where God's people were. And over here in Galilee was, well, nobodies. Pagans. Worse than nobodies. We, we read in John's gospel that people refuse to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the saving one, purely on the basis that Jesus was raised and grew up in Galilee. Friends, that's not by accident. It's not like Jesus spun a globe of the ancient world and just sort of put his finger and like, oh, I'll grow up here. No, that's not how that worked. In coming from despised Galilee, see this, Christ City, in coming from despised Galilee and in returning to despised Galilee post-resurrection, Jesus is telling us, the Bible is, is telling us that he has come for a despised people, a lowly people, a forgotten people, a marginalized people. And despite what you might think right now, despite what you might think right now, if you're here this morning and you do not confess Jesus as Lord, you do not believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, I'm almost assured of this. It, It is not because you have an airtight philosophical argument against him. 
It is not because you have such a thorough and, and strong uh, materialist worldview that there's no room for Jesus in that. No, I, I guarantee you that the reason that you will not confess Jesus as Lord, the reason the Bible gives us for the fact that you will not confess Jesus as Lord is because you're too proud. Like if I'm picking a team of people, I'm not picking Galileans. I'm picking people from Jerusalem who can bench 250. Holy, spiritual, godly, elite people. Maybe you've never wanted for anything in your life. Your life has been one success after success after success after success. Not only have you never seen your sin, you've never considered sin, and no one's ever pointed sin out to you before. See, what we shouldn't miss in our passage this morning, and this is good news, is, is who gets to the tomb first? Who's there first? Did you notice that? In Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first week, who's there? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Do you know how the ancient world could immediately discredit the eyewitness testimony here? Do you know how they could do it in the ancient world? It was really, really easy. Sorry, who saw Jesus? Oh, it was women. Yeah. Sorry. Come back when you've got somebody a bit more credible, reliable, an important person perhaps. Friends, we need not miss, we should not miss, that this morning it was women who the stone was rolled back for. It was women who the seal on the tomb was broken for. It was women, these despised people, these marginalized people, who the soldiers are made helpless for. All these things are done for these two women, as one commentator says, not to let the risen Messiah escape, but to let the first witnesses in, to invite them in. Witnesses who are not societal elites, but on the margins. Witnesses who are despised. Another author said this, God's grace flows downhill to the low places, not uphill to the pompous and put-together places. Where was Jesus? Jesus was on the cross. Jesus was in the tomb. Jesus was in Galilee. And what does that mean for us? Jesus physically died and was physically buried to pay for the sins of all those who the world would despise. To pay for the sins of all those who would recognize their need this morning, today. Jesus himself says in Matthew 9.13, earlier in Matthew's story, For I came not to call the righteous, but who? Sinners. Sinners. It's only now, having understood the meaning of where Jesus was, can we receive the good news of Easter Sunday. That is the good news of where Jesus is. If you have your Bibles, we want to read from Matthew 28, 5 to 8, or you can follow on the screen behind me. Let's read that together. 
Matthew 28, verse 5, says this. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Jesus was on the cross. Jesus was in the tomb. Jesus was in Galilee. But the celebration of Easter is that Jesus is physically and and bodily alive today. That is the celebration of, of Easter. Our hope is not simply in some mere historical figure. Our hope is not in reminiscing of the good old days when Jesus walked the earth, right? Wasn't that great? The Christian hope, my hope, and the hope of many of you here this morning, is a present hope, a today hope, in these moments sort of hope, in these times, in this age sort of hope. That is the Christian hope, a hope that believes, as the angel said, that Jesus is not here, for he has risen. Now, what does that mean for us today? Again, what does that mean for us today? Notice what the angel says to the two women in verse 7. Look at that with me. Let's read that again. Matthew 28, verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And look at how the angels conclude. The angel concludes his message. He says this. See? I have told you. See, I have told you. Whatever the resurrection means, whatever the implications of the resurrection are, we must see that it demands a response from us. It demands a response. We all know intuitively when we hear information that demands a response, don't we? That that demands action on our part, right? Right? Like if I was to tell you right now, friends, there's a, there's a fire in the lobby. No one would move. All right, that's great. We'll work on that a bit. But you would respond to that, right? You would, you, you would do something, right? You'd get up, hopefully run out, maybe grab your children, hopefully grab your children, right? And you would leave. If I was to tell you that there's a million dollars taped to the bottom of your chair, maybe even just quietly, you'd, you'd just reach under there and just check. Like, I know he's kidding, but... But who knows? Nothing gained, right? If your television set was to come on and, and inform you that Canada was being invaded, right? We're under attack, under siege. You, you would do something. You, you'd run to mission or you would go buy a gun and then run to mission or, or you do something, right? You, you would respond in the same way, in the same way. When the angel concludes his message to the two women with, See, I have told you, he's making it plain to them. And he's making it plain to us today that what he has said is a divine authoritative announcement. Jesus is alive. And now how are you going to respond to that? What are you going to do about that? To us this morning, this is the very same question. I have just told you about the physical resurrection of Jesus. Now, how will you respond? 
What will you do about that? One thing is for sure here. If Jesus is really alive, I think it's fair to say that your whole life changes. Like consider what one pastor in New York said. He said this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Because, and, 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 and go with me for a bit of a journey here, if Jesus is alive today, the Bible tells us that belief in Jesus' death and resurrection is the way, the only way that we are made right with God. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, in Romans 10, verses 9 to 10, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The Bible tells us if Jesus is alive today, if, if this is true, then you and I are able to walk in this new resurrection life today, right now. Elsewhere in Romans, Paul also said this, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We we too might walk in the same quality of of resurrection life, not, not just in the future, but now, today. The Bible says that if Jesus is alive, then all he said about eternal life and, and his kingdom is true. That there is coming a day when the resurrected King Jesus will put death to death. That the song, it is not death to die, will be proven true. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. again Paul writes, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits or the first harvest, of those who have fallen asleep. For those in Jesus, though sickness and illness and disease and and decay and back pains and heart problems persist today, the promise is for those in Christ Jesus is that we will have new resurrection bodies like his. Jesus was the first harvest and there's coming another harvest. The Bible says if Jesus is alive, then he is today, right now, at the right hand of the Father as our intercessor and advocate. And he is inviting. He is asking us to approach the Father in boldness for forgiveness. To know his presence. To know the joy of being his children. See, in view of all this, it's no wonder, isn't it? That verse 8 says this. What does verse 8 say? So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Yet no, duh. Obviously. If this is all true, of course. And ran to tell his disciples. See, yes, fear, because they, through an angel, have heard God speak. They, through an angel, have heard God speak. So, So fear is an appropriate response. But it's fear and joy. Because what God has spoken to them is not death 
and condemnation and destruction and, and hurt and pain. But instead, God has spoken to them in the resurrection of his son, Jesus, hope and freedom and new life in him. Jesus is not on the cross. He is not in the tomb. He's not even in Galilee anymore. He's alive. And the question for all of us this morning is how will we respond? How will you respond this morning to the divine decree that the angel said, He is not here, for He is risen? It's worth noting that the response of these women wasn't purely emotive, wasn't just fear and joy. But in verse 9, when they encounter the resurrected Jesus, what do they do? Read verse 9 with me. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Isn't that funny? This isn't my, my script. But isn't that funny? He says, greetings. Like, I'm here. Like, of course I'm alive. Right? He's talking to friends. Talking to, to family. And what do the women do? They came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. They worshipped him. If Jesus is raised from the dead, then all those things, being made right with God, your creator, new eternal resurrection life today, entrance into his kingdom forever, all these things are available to you today, but notice it is only for those who worship him as a resurrected king. How will you respond? The resurrection of Jesus demands a response. Because the fact of the matter is that it is not only crucially important that we see where Jesus was and where Jesus is today, but where Jesus will be as well. Can I put that another way for you? The Christian story is rooted and grounded in past historical events, demands a response today, but it is filled to the brim and it is overflowing with future hope. It is rooted in past historical events. It demands a response today, but, but it is filled to the brim with future hope. Hope that, that, that keeps us going. Hope that motivates us. If you were to keep on reading past our passage today in Matthew's gospel, you would find, like, as Jesus said, he, he does go to Galilee. He is there. He, he meets his disciples there. And he says to them in Matthew 28, verse 20, And behold, I am with you always. Then he says this, To the end of the age. To the end of the age. In the story Matthew's been telling, Jesus has already prepared his disciples that, that he will leave them. There is coming a day, Jesus says to his disciples, where, where he will leave them. That he will ascend to the right hand of the Father. But don't lose hope, he says. I will be with you by my Holy Spirit. And then he says right here in Matthew 28, to the end of the age. In Jesus' view of the world, there are two ages. Two ages. This, this present age that we currently occupy and the age to come. This present age and the age to come. Uh, in, in this current age, the Christian acknowledges that things are not as they should be. I don't know if you saw the news this morning. Hundreds of people killed uh, in bombings at churches and hotels in Sri Lanka. 
The Christian acknowledges that in this age, things are far, far from how they should be. And yet, the Christian also lives with the hope that empowered by the Spirit, we are ministers of reconciliation. Bringing this message, this good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus to bear on our world and in our lives. Fully aware, fully aware that the evil we see right now will not cease in this age. Will persist. But Jesus says there's coming an age. There's coming a time. There's coming a time when the evil will be separated from the righteous. When the resurrected king will sit on his throne. When everything sad will come untrue. And to quote Jesus himself earlier in Matthew, at the end of this age, all people, friends, hear this, all people, not just Christians, all people, all people will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus was on the cross. Jesus was in the tomb. Jesus was in Galilee. But Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he is interceding and advocating for all of us today who are his, as he is at the right hand of the Father today. Today. And the resurrected Jesus will come, will come at the end of the age. To the follower of Jesus, listening this morning and wondering what the application is for me, how do I walk out of this place? How do I walk out of this time? Uh, It's really simple. Uh, To quote the sons, uh, the sons, to quote the Bible that my sons read. They don't read it. I read it to them. They can't read. (laughs) It says this. Watch for him. Wait for him. He will come. I promise. Watch for him. Wait for him. He will come. I promise. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning and wondering what the application is for you, it's very simple. Believe. Believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for you, to bring you to himself. Believe this morning that Jesus rose from the grave so that you might have new resurrection life now and forever. The call is very simple. It's believe. Believe. Believe that he is coming again at the end of the age to judge the evil from the righteous. And the justice that we long for, we long for, the justice we need, will finally come. Earlier, we read Romans 10, 9 to 10. And I want to read Romans 10, 9 to 10 one more time. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're wondering what kind of response to the resurrection pleases the Lord, it's in Romans 10, 9 to 10. If you're wondering, how should I respond to the resurrection? What, what, what does Jesus ask of me? Romans 10, 9 to 10. It's not do better, try harder. It's not give more money. It's this. Let me read this again. 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. That is, made right with God. Declared not guilty. With the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That is, saved from the wrath to come. This afternoon, we have the privilege, we have the joy, we have the tremendous honor of baptizing four people. Four people who you'll hear in just a moment have, with their mouth, confessed Jesus as Lord over their life. And with their heart, believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Again, I ask, how will you respond to the resurrection today? Let's take a moment now to listen to how Mamie and Ryan and Cam and Angus have chosen to respond. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.